Uh, morning all. I have my water, which is great. I didn't get the blue M&Ms that I asked for. But... <clears throat> and I have my large print double spaced notes here. Don't you love the aging process? There's something happened as I approached 50 I've now passed over. That sounds weird, doesn't it? Passed over 50 is what I mean. Uh, where I, I thought there was a conspiracy that people were reducing the font size in newspapers and Bibles and that kind of thing. Realised that it's just failing eyesight. And so I went a couple of weeks ago to the opticians, tenor, bargain. Had an eye test and uh, they confirmed I do indeed need glasses for reading. Uh, so they gave me a slip of paper. Uh, but nothing has changed. My eyes are still rubbish, so I'm not quite sure what's going on there. Uh, but of course, it would be bonkers, wouldn't it, to just kind of assume that if I go to the opticians and they give me a slip of paper that says, yes, your eyesight is failing, that I expect that that's enough. Uh, apparently, I have to do something with that slip of paper. I have to take it somewhere, and I can only dream of looking as good as you, Sire. So Sire put his glasses on there. Um, I have to take that slip of paper and actually apply what has been given to me and uh, then my eyesight will be returned. And in a strange way, that is kind of linked with what I want to speak about today. I mean, looking around, I can see that some of you have made a real effort when it comes to getting dressed this morning. You've really put some thought into it. Uh, I, too, put a lot of thought into it. I ironed two shirts this morning, two shirts. Uh, couldn't decide which one to wear. I went for this one. Hope it's okay, thank you, thank you. My, oh, <laughs> wonderful. Uh, my, uh, my youngest son came up to me and he says, you do know you've got a, a button open here, don't you? I said, yes, that was a, a deliberate choice. Again, I, I tried it fastened and unfastened in front of the mirror. He says, you look like a dad at a disco. Uh, but I said, well, that's okay, that's, that's, that's the vibe I'm going for this morning. <laughs> disco dad. But isn't it true that sometimes we just grab what is available and we stick it on, don't we, Si? Uh, just every now and then, we, we, just, we just jump into whatever has been ironed and don't put much thought into it. But every now and then, we dress according to what we're going to be facing that day. So I did put more effort into my attire uh, today. So the things that you're going to be facing, maybe you need to feel more confident so you dress in a certain way. It's important to dress in a certain way if you're going to climb a mountain, for example. Speedos are not what you need. Or at that moment, you need to, you need to wear the, the correct clothing for what it is that you are facing. It is true. Thank you, Auntie Grace. It is true. And I want us to be thinking about that this morning. There's, there's a lot of imagery in Scripture uh, about what we wear. And we're going to look at some of that imagery today in the book of Colossians, where we're often encouraged to get dressed, put on certain things, but it's not talking about the physical clothing. It's talking about our attitudes, our actions, our mindsets, that there needs to be a certain way of dressing. Many of you know that uh, I was going to say I live with my parents, but I prefer to say they live with me. It just sounds better that way. So my parents live with us. 
And uh, one of the, it's great actually, I highly recommend it. Uh, it helps that we've got plenty of space in the house, I think. But uh, it is great that we get to live together. But one of the really weird things is when you find yourself, as your mum and dad are about to go out for the evening, you find yourself saying to your mum, you're not going out dressed like that, are you? And uh, it, it happens quite frequently. Apparently, uh, Apparently she has improved. I've seen the pictures of miniskirts in church uh, before I was born. Uh, so she is getting better. Um, but sometimes, sometimes we need somebody to say to us, you're not going out dressed like that, are you? Do you remember that story that hit the papers a while ago when Prince Harry got into an awful lot of trouble because of the fancy dress uh, costume he chose to wear? He thought it would be a good idea to dress up as a... Uh, SS Nazi commander in, uh, in a uh, fancy dress party and there was an awful lot of fuss. Now obviously that was quite inappropriate, could be quite offensive and upsetting to some people but if I'd have done it, it probably wouldn't have made the front page of the sun. But it did when he did it because of who he is. Because, you see, he's Prince Harry, and when he steps out, he's representing more than just himself. He's representing the royal family. He's representing the queen. So it mattered. And somebody should have said to him that day, you're not going to the party dressed like that, are you? So I want us to have that in mind as we just spend a few moments uh, thinking a few things through. Let's have a look at a passage of scripture that I've got printed nice and big here in front of me so I can read it. It may well come up on the screen behind you. Colossians chapter 3. I'm going to read the first 14 verses. And as you are reading it, I want you to notice what is called the imperative verbs. These are, we call them in school, bossy verbs. These are the verbs that say, do this, do this. So I want you to notice them. I've highlighted them in my Bible. So Colossians 3, 1 to 14 says this, since then you have been raised with Christ, set, that's one of those verbs, it's something you need to do, doesn't happen to you, you take responsibility for it, okay, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, here it comes again, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hid with Christ in God, that is a great statement, which we'll have a look at in a moment, when Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourself of all things such as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other. Since you have taken off your old self with its practices, there's that dressing language, okay? You've taken off the old self with its practices, and you have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here, there's no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, because of this, as God's 
chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, with kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love which binds them together in perfect unity. It's great stuff, isn't it? Great stuff. I really like this bit, that it says, you have now put on the new self which has been renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Very rarely do I look at myself in the mirror and go, do you know what? I think I'm getting better. I'm getting better with age. Very rarely does that happen. I don't know what's happening to me. I am suffering at the moment from 50-year-old acne. It is not blessing me at all. And I've tried all sorts of things. So I'm used to looking at myself in the mirror and thinking, ah, this aging process is driving me bonkers. But there's something in the spiritual that I am experiencing where actually I am improving with age. I am being renewed into the image of my creator. And so now I need to start dressing as is befitting my new status and position. Do you follow me? Is this making sense? That I no longer dress the way that I used to dress. If I turned up here dressing as the old five-year-old me, that would, well, that certainly would embarrass my son more than the unbuttoned button and disco dad image that I've got going on. It would be inappropriate. There is a new way of dressing that befits my new status and the fact that I am being renewed. So it says, therefore, Listen to who you are as God's chosen people. Holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves appropriately. It's important we get this way round. I clothe myself appropriately because of who I am. I am not changing my behavior in order to somehow win my way into heaven. I'm not changing my behavior to somehow try and curry favor with God. Notice me, save me. I do it because that is a done deal. That is who I am. And so I dress accordingly. You have died and you have been raised. So to paraphrase, get your mind out of the gutter because you have been raised with Christ. Lift your heads, lift your eyes, lift your thoughts, set your heart on things above. Because you have been raised with Christ, set your heart on things above. You've died and you've been raised, so live accordingly. It is true that when you go higher, you can see more. It didn't need me. It said it's a different view from up here than it is from down there. It's a different view from up there than it is from down here. Give me a wave in the balcony. Hello. Lovely, lovely people. Latecomers. (laughs) No, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. They're going to start throwing things now. When you go higher, you get a different view. And I want you to have a look at these first few verses here. When it says, since you've been raised with Christ, set your heart on things above. Where is Christ? Where is he? Where is he? He's at the right hand of the Father. What's he doing? What's he doing? 
is seated. Seated praying would, would work also. But he's seated. Why is he seated? Why is he sitting down? He's done it. He's done it. If you read the Old Testament, you get this great picture of what God put in place when he said, I'm going to dwell among my people. He gave them elaborate instructions about what they were to build. Precise measurements of the size of this huge tent, this tabernacle. All the different areas, all the different bits of furniture. Very, very precise. An altar for burning sacrifices. A holy of holies, separate from all the other places by a curtain where the Ark of the Covenant, the symbol of his presence, was placed. This was the symbol of God among his people. And there the priest would minister. And day after day after day, he would be there. As the, as the throngs came, it was just a never-ending stream of people. They came with their, with their sheep and their lambs and their doves and their grain offerings. And the priests were there, and it was just a continual... Um, uh, just mess of slaughtering animals, of blood being poured out, of blood being carried and splashed on the altar, of animals being burnt, the smell of meat and, and flesh in the air, grain being burnt. It just never, never, never ended day after day after day after day of sacrifice, one after the other. Of all the furniture that is elaborately set out there in the Old Testament, you'll see loads of stuff. It's one of those passages where you kind of think, when, when you're wading through it on Bible in a year, you're kind of thinking, oh my word. But you know one thing that isn't there? A chair. There's no chair. There's no instruction that, oh, put a chair to one side so that the priests can have a rest between sacrifices the reason there's no chair is because it's never finished. It's sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice. They're just coming through one after the other after the other. And then there's one time in the year where the priest takes a lamb and it has to be absolutely perfect and spotless without blemish, absolutely nothing wrong with it. And he takes the lamb, places his hands on the lamb, and in that way, the lamb is going to atone for the sins of the people. And he slaughters that lamb, and on this special day, he collects some of the blood in a bowl, and he steps through the curtain. The curtain where nobody goes. It's a holy, fearful moment serious risk of death as he steps through the curtain because this is holy God and this is where he's dwelling and he goes in fearful I'm sure approaches the ark of the covenant there are the cherubim with their wings meeting and there's the mercy seat between their wings and he takes the blood and he pours the blood on the mercy seat and he does so, as he does so, he utters the words, it's finished. It's finished. 
it's done. And then in that holy moment, he backs out through the curtain and says to the people, it's finished. It's done. Your sins are atoned for, for another year. But do you know what? It then just starts again. Sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice because the blood of a sheep, no matter how perfect it is, cannot atone for my sin and for your sin. No way can it do that. It's pointing to something greater. So let's accelerate through the, through the years and see now a temple. A temple in Jerusalem. God's people have a home. They're no longer dismantling the tabernacle and carrying it round from place to place. They have a permanent home. And they have a magnificent temple. But as I was picturing that temple this week, I thought, that must have been an impressive sight. But does it not somehow conjure up that I'm now even more separate from God? Look at the size of those stones that separate me from the holy place. It's almost like my separation from God, there's a permanence to it. And the sacrifices continue on and on and on within the temple as the priests slaughter the lambs, splash the blood. Once a year, he walks through the, the veil of the curtain, pours the blood on the mercy seat. It is finished, he says, and yet it continues on and on and on and on. But now in the midst of those sacrifices, let's just step outside of the city to a river where a crazy man who likes locusts for breakfast is baptizing people in the river. His name is John. And then a figure walks towards him from out of the wilderness. It's his cousin, Jesus. And at that moment, he sees him for who he is, and he points to him, and he says, there he is, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Here he is. And a few years later, that same man, God in flesh, God with a face, God with hands and feet, walked into Jerusalem and offered himself as that lamb. Somebody pointed out to me once that as Jesus was going through everything that he went through, the trial, the spitting, the beating, the name calling, the brutal treatment that he received, he never once sat down. Because the high priest doesn't sit down because it ain't finished yet. And then he was taken outside of the city and he was hung on a cross. And as he hung there, what did he say? It is finished. And this time, those words had awesome, awesome weight. It is finished. 
finished. And shortly after, as he breathed his last, the veil of the curtain to the Holy of Holies was torn into, not from the bottom to the top, but from the top to the bottom. No more separation, because it is finished. It is finished. Sacrifices were still going on. But Jesus declared, it is finished. It is finished. It is finished. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. He is seated because it is finished. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and what? Your life is now hid with Christ in God. So, am I misreading this? What is my position right now? What is my position right now? Seated in heavenly places. Am I reading stuff into that? That is my present reality. Oh yes, we live in a now and not yet age. We've still got this life here on earth to live, but the reality is that is my position. So that is why I dress the way I dress. That is why I behave the way I behave, because I'm not the same anymore. I'm different because he says it is finished. It is finished. So what's your response? What's your response to a torn veil? No more separation. No more separation. We're not told what happened to the high priest who was on duty that day when behind him the veil tore. I figured he wasn't standing at that moment in time. He was probably on his face at that moment. What's your response to a torn veil? Let's step in. Let's step in. Let's step into his fullness. He calls you to a higher place. He calls us to a higher place. Would you stand with me? Is that okay? Is that okay if we all stand? If you're, if you're able. If you're not able... Do the standing on the inside thing. And I just want you to adopt whatever position you want to adopt. That uh, I, I, I often like to put my hands out in front of me when, it's, when I'm representing a, a surrender, a divine exchange. Let's take this as a holy moment. It's important for us to realize that God didn't change. He's still holy. He didn't say, I'm, I'm holy and you can't approach me, so I'll, I'll dilute my holiness. He came down in order to raise us up 
and declare us holy. Actually, before I pray, I don't want to embarrass you, Isaac. Um, But I just want you to know, Jesus is praying for you. And I know Jesus is praying for you because even though we have never, ever met for the last two years, I've been praying for you. And during the worship time, God put this uh, verse of scripture on my mind and I just want you to make note of it. Dad, perhaps you can make note of it. Make sure you'll have a look at it. And it's from uh, Luke chapter 22. And uh, it's uh, around the um, Jesus eating with his uh, disciples. Sorry, I'm having to scroll through it. This isn't in my notes, obviously. And Jesus says to Simon, Peter, he says, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you of sweet. Brife prayed for you, that your faith may not fail. And when you've turned back, strengthen your brothers. And I really feel for you, Isaac, that God's got a place for you where you're going to be a real strength to your brothers, standing alongside, alongside adding strength to people, not them adding strength to you, you adding strength to people. And I hear God saying that I've prayed for you and that through your time of trial, I'm praying that your faith may not fail. And when you're through it, strengthen your brothers. Let's let's pray. I just want to read a, a passage of scripture over you. Ephesians chapter 2, 1 to 10, it may come up on the screen, but close your eyes if that helps. I want you to listen to these words. It wasn't so long ago that you were mired in that old stagnant life of sin. You let the world, which doesn't know the first thing about living, tell you how to live. You filled your lungs with polluted unbelief and then exhaled disobedience. We all did it. Each of us doing what we felt like doing. When we felt like doing it, all of us in the same boat. It's a wonder God didn't lose his temper and do away with a lot of us. Instead, immense in mercy and with incredible love, he embraced us. He took our sin-dead lives and made us alive in Christ. He did this all on his own with no help from us. And then he picked us up and set us down. He seated us in highest heaven in company with Jesus, our Messiah. Where you are right now, I just want you to welcome that into your life. You didn't do it. You cannot do it. It's all him. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I'm going to invite you to pray with me. It's a prayer we say every, every week. 
And this is a prayer of connection. It's a prayer of commitment. It's a gateway prayer. I love saying this every single week. I first said a prayer like this when I was very, very young. But it doesn't get old, this prayer. I love it. Let's say it together, shall we? Thank you, God, for loving me before I ever loved you. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross for me. Thank you that I can get connected to you now because you are alive today. I admit that I have lived my life without you and have messed up. I ask for your total forgiveness and I commit myself to you. Help me to submit my life to your teaching and direction from now on. I receive you into my life and ask you to fill me with your Holy Spirit. Amen. Just close your eyes where you are, would you? I am just going to ask if anybody has said that prayer, and actually, this is the first time you've done it. This is the first time when you've been faced with this decision, or, or maybe for the first time it makes sense, and you think, man, I actually didn't realize it was so easy. That actually... It's just a matter of saying, me, me, for me. If you're saying that this morning for the first time, I want you to do a brave thing and just wave at me. And the reason I want you to do that is just so we can pray with you. One of my friends can uh, just stand with you, pray with you, give you a book, help explain your journey. If that's you, just pop your hand in the air. Um, somebody will spot it. I can't see very well from where I am. Thank you. Okay, and here's, here's the challenge for the rest of us, okay? Go home, have a look in your wardrobe, and get rid of anything that doesn't fit anymore. <laughs> I've not got many clothes left, actually. But I'm not talking about the physical clothes now. You understand that by now, right? I'm not, I'm not judging you on how you're dressed. You look wonderful, all of you. You're beautiful, beautiful people. But do go home and have a look at how it is you're dressing. Because your position is one of elevation. You're a child of the most high God and you are welcome there right now if you have prayed that prayer even if you didn't wave at me doesn't really matter that's not what saves you this is what saves you when you say me for me it's finished for me your position is hidden with Christ in God that's who you are so come on church let's live from the goodness of that position. Amen? Amen. Amen.